Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Saturday, August 6th. Of course, all of you listeners will be hearing this podcast on Sunday, August 7th. Nevertheless, in my quest to help all of you tennis fans make sense of another jam-packed week on the ATP and WTA tours, I have tried my best to date each of these episodes based on the corresponding day of action I break down within each of them for this podcast. Podcast. That means a discussion of everything that's happened this weekend on the ATP Tour. Of course, I say this weekend and not just Saturday because both of our ATP events have taken place late into the night, no matter where you live across the globe. Of course, Friday's action in Washington, D.C. at the City Open was pushed late into the evening on Friday due to the inclement weather they had in the area. It was an extraordinarily exciting night of tennis, and I will say this personally, this was one of our few free weekends we've had this year at Crack Rackets. Now, most people 26 years old might take that opportunity to go out on the town and enjoy themselves. I couldn't. The tennis was too good. We had four spectacular quarterfinal matches at the City Open, two outstanding semifinal battles in Los Cabos as well. Simply put, the tennis was exceptional. And then on Saturday, we had two standout semifinal performances in D.C. Nick Kyrgios has yet to be broken in his quest to capture a second title in the nation's capital. Kyrgios, exceptional. In each of his matches these past two days, whether it was coming from behind, I believe he faced five match points against Francis Tiafo in the second set breaker, nevertheless comes back to earn a three-set victory then. I don't want to say cruises, but looked comfortable in a straight set win against Mikhail Imer, a player who has made everyone so uncomfortable throughout the course of his run in D.C. Simply put, we're seeing prime Nick Kyrgios. I don't want to talk again, and I know we've talked about him so much of late, about what prime Nick Kyrgios looks like, what his skill set allows him to do that separates him from just about every other player on the ATP Tour. Of course, we can talk about his opponents as well. Francis Tiafo, such a spirited effort to make his first quarterfinal in D.C. was one point away, literally one point away from a first semifinal and as such will actually begin next week at a new career high in the ATP rankings. Of course, Mikhail Emer, what a fantastic week for him. Sets him up to potentially have a very big uh, closeout to this 2022 season. Want to offer some final thoughts on where things stand at the City Open. Of course, can set up that Nick Kyrgios Yoshihito Nishioka final as well, although that match may have already begun by the time some of you listeners hear this podcast. So going to stick a little bit away from the previewing at the City Open, talk more about what we've seen.
seen thus far to date. Of course, in Los Cabos, no more previewing necessary, as we know our champion, Daniil Medvedev, for the first time in 2022. That is crazy to say out loud, but for the first time in 2022, the world number one finds himself in the winner's circle at the end of the week. Medvedev capturing his first title of the season in Los Cabos. He blinked for a moment, up 5-4, serving for the first set. But from there, cruise control after getting broken, closes out the set 7-5, closes out a definitive straight set victory over Cam Norrie. Just want to remind all of you listeners um, on the amounts of success Daniil Medvedev has had from the start of August through the end of the year since his breakout 2019 fall, of course, in my opinion— all of these hardcore events for the ending of 20 for the end of 2022 they run through Daniil Medvedev particularly given we're very likely not going to have Novak Djokovic in any of these North American events we don't know how healthy Rafael Nadal is and let's not forget Daniil Medvedev was a point away from going two sets and a break up on Rafa at the Australian Open final just want to remind all of you listeners again how good Daniil Medvedev is during this portion of the calendar and how you know, he reminded all of us of that fact over this past week in Los Cabos. Of course, we can talk about his opponent in the final, Cam Nori, as well. Finally gets a victory over Felix Ogier Aliasim. He is just as fit a player as you're going to find on the ATP Tour. And again, he may not have gotten over the hump against Daniil Medvedev, but when I read the track record for Cam Nori since the start of the 2021 season, your jaw may just drop. He really has been that good over these past 18 months, and so Again, want to discuss what makes Nori special, why I'm actually glass half full for both FAA and Mimir Kesmenovic, our two semifinalists as well, and why it was just very fun to have that late night action going on in Los Cabos. But of course, the reason we're able to get into all of this action here at Crack Rackets is because of the support we get from all of you listeners day in, day out. And by the way, if you're looking for a similar breakdown of everything that happened this weekend on the WTA Tour, just check your mini break podcast feeds or our website, crackrackets.com, as I talked about the revenge of the Russians. Daria Kasatkina, Ludmila Samsonova, each looking excellent in San Jose and D.C. respectively. We have another big week from Anna Bogdan, who's looked awesome in Romania, earns herself probably the biggest title of her career at the 125K. And look, again, we get into all of this weekend's WTA Tour action. You can find that podcast wherever you listen to your mini break podcast or on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, a shout out to our friends at Tennis Point as well, who with their support, it allows us to do things like these weekend podcasts. Keep all of you listeners in the loop on everything happening in a busy week in the pro tennis world. Of course, Tennis Point keeps tennis players everywhere satisfied as well by providing the best equipment at the lowest prices. You go to their website, tennis-point.com right now. You'll find everything you're looking for. And at checkout, use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point, symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into it. And let's actually start with the action in Los Cabos. We already have our title winner. It's Daniil Medvedev, who again, earns his first title of the 2022 season. Medvedev, I thought was quite impressive in earning a 7-5-6 love victory over Cam Nori. You look for Medvedev in that match specifically. Gets an early break of serve 
of Norian just was in backboard mode for, you know, what makes Daniel Medvedev so special in case you have forgotten? And I imagine many of you have not forgotten, but just a reminder for the 26-year-old world number one, it's that he combines these defensive skills while also possessing a top 10 serve on the ATP tour. And it's just his ability to generate free points for himself, allow him to get into defensive mode and play those 10 to 15 shot rallies as the returner stay in the defensive posture until you leave a ball short. And then he hits that leaping backhand cross court with so much drive, yet it stays so flat that it's just an uncomfortable ball to deal with. Or, you know, he runs around and slaps that forehand, and you never know where the Daniil Medvedev forehand's going to go. That's what makes it so lethal despite its lack of aesthetic appeal, I suppose would be the kind way of saying it. But, I mean, look, for Daniil Medvedev, it started with the serve, and he wins, you know, 68%. Of his service points throughout the course of the match, you know, five plus aces in all the matches that he plays this week. He he was only broken through what? He played eight total sets, by the way. He didn't drop a set. I believe that's his sixth title of his career without dropping a set. I believe it's the 14th title of Daniil Medvedev's career. I'm going to double check those stats for all of you as we go through here. But Daniil Medvedev's been exceptional absolutely exceptional uh, throughout the course of these past three and a half years in this portion of the calendar. And I may have gone over these stats on our last mini break podcast, talking all ATP things. If I did, I apologize for that fact, but I think it's worth reminding everyone. Daniil Medvedev, from the start of this summer hardcore stretch through the end of the year, here are his stats since 2019. He went 29 and 7 in that breakout 2019 campaign. He made the final of the City Open, of course, losing to Nick Kyrgios. He then, you know, makes the final, I believe, in Canada, losing that match, but wins the Cincinnati title, wins the Shanghai title, wins the St. Petersburg title, makes the U.S. Open final where he lost in five sets to Nadal. Again, that was his breakout campaign 2019, 29 and 7 overall, 81% win percentage, three titles in a U.S. Open final. In 2020, abbreviated end of ending of the season. You also had some clay court matches thrown into the mix. Nevertheless, you look for Daniil Medvedev. He went 20 and six down the home stretch of 2020. He makes the AT, or he wins the Paris title and then subsequently wins the ATP Tour Finals. He made U.S. Open semifinals in that 2020 season. He also, of course, followed that up by making the final of the 2021 Australian Open. Was playing such exceptional tennis at the start of last season. Uh, uh, then you go to 2021, where, where, what was he at the end of last season? And again, he was 81% in 2019, 77% in 2020. He won 89% of his matches down the home stretch of last year. Went 31-4 down the home stretch and won the U.S. Open title, most notably, of course. He also won the title in Canada. He made the Tour Finals finals. He made the Paris Masters finals since the start of of 2019. Daniil Medvedev, 13, excuse me, 17 total losses in three seasons of matches. He also has what? So, excuse me, 80 and 17 overall in his last 97 fall matches. 80 and 17 overall. He's winning over 80% of his matches in this summer and fall hard court portion of the season. And it was just a stark reminder as he blitzed through Rinky Hijikato, Ricardis Barankis, Miamir Kasmanovic, Cam Nori. He's just on a different plane when it comes to hard court tennis. While his movement can be a little leaky at times on the clay courts, 
He moves as well as anyone on these hard courts, just times his stride so well, uses his length so well around the court. And if he gets his hands on the ball, he's just going to generate a ball that goes past the service line or is in an uncomfortable angle that it makes you uncomfortable, of course, given the success of his serve. And again, you look forward to Neil Medvedev this season. He's holding serve 86.9% of the time, still 3% above his career average. And again, a top 15 number on the a top 10 number, I should say, on the ATP Tour. You know, behind that serve, he gets to show off some of his funnier plays. Funnier plays, I should say. Funkier plays. Less conventional plays. He plays the serve in volley. He plays the serve in swinging volley. He's able to mix in the drop shots, the short angles. He just had Cam Nori going side to side. And again, Medvedev's backhand particularly well suited to deal with the Cam Nori forehand, A, because the heavy topspin of the lefty Nori, given Medvedev's height, six foot six, that ball just jumps a little bit higher and right in his strike zone allows him to drive through it that much more as opposed to having to generate his own topspin because Cam Nori provides it for him. B, you know, again, it was just, it was the relentlessness. It was that he goes up 5-4, 40-15, four unforced errors consecutively to seed that break back to Nori for five all, takes a medical timeout, gets some work done on his hand, comes back out, and you know, makes maybe five unforced errors. The rest of the match, you look for Daniel uh, Medvedev again in his seven-five-six love victory against Cam Nori wins two-thirds of his service points, and you know you look for him overall. Oh, unfortunately, no winners and unforced errors. But I have to imagine that number was fewer than ten. Got down the home stretch of of that match. And, you know, again, same deal with Miamir Kesmenovic. Kesmenovic had to work so hard to keep pace with Medvedev on serve in the first set when Medvedev goose-egged him in the tiebreaker. Let me try that word again. Goose-egged him in the tiebreaker. Seven love skunking to take that first set 7-6. It just sucked the life out of Kesmenovic because that Medvedev serves not going anywhere. And then he's just a pest in his return games. Again, because of his length, because of his strength, hey, great shot on the rhyme, he has that ability to stand 12 feet behind the baseline on the return of serve, and yet if you try to serve and volley on him, he's going to slap a return by you or dip it low at your feet to give himself a second look at a passing shot. And if you don't do that, you know, he's going to get a full cut on the ball because he does have that much more time 12 feet behind the baseline, and he does have the sort of strength to get that return, again, past the service line and just use it as a neutralizing ball. Again, there's a reason Daniel Medvedev these past three years has been one of the eight guys to not only finish top 25, but to finish top 20 at the very worst in both hold percentage and break percentage. He was a top 10 club guy last season, and he's been a top 10 guy, a club guy perennially during this portion of the year as well. And again, given the injury uncertainties of Rafael Nadal, given the fact that it's really unlikely we're going to see Novak Djokovic at any point of this North American hardcourt summer, these events run through Daniil Medvedev, and he gets the day off between Saturday, Sunday, Monday, whenever he's going to start this event, probably not till Tuesday in Canada. He's the favorite everywhere he goes because, again, the serve is the uh, gets him out of jams, and then he's just got the physicality and no definitive weakness, can do a little bit of everything. He's a nightmare to go up against. He epitomizes everything that can be in the modern ATP player because he's got the freakish size, the freakish fluidity, and the massive weapon in his serve. 
He was spectacular in Los Cabos. Just a stark reminder, he is the world number one. And again, when you look for Daniil Medvedev, what he was able to accomplish with his run of success, just a couple more stats to throw at all of you. You look for Medvedev, his fifth title, excuse me, fifth title of his career without dropping a set amongst active players. Nadal has 30, Federer 21, Djokovic 20, then a massive drop-off. Murray with seven, Chilich and Medvedev now uh, both with five. If you look again for Daniil Medvedev now overall, he's in double digits, folks. He's he's made, since the pandemic started, by the way, 13 total finals for Daniil Medvedev. That's tied with Novak Djokovic as the most amongst active players. That's tied, actually, with Djokovic amongst most of active players on the ATP or WTA Tour side. And, you know, again, 14th title of Daniil Medvedev's career. It it's funny because you look for Medvedev now overall here in this 2021 season, uh, 2022, excuse me, season. 35 and 10 overall. He's winning 78% of his matches. You look for him again overall on the season in terms of total uh, finals made on the year now. He's made four total finals. You look for him quarterfinals made on the year, seven in what, 16 total events. You look for him in the points race. I actually think that's more indicative of the sort of season Daniil Medvedev's had. He's now number five in the points race with this title. He hasn't been the number one guy. And I do think Nadal, Alcaraz, if if points for Wimbledon counted, Djokovic would be above him as well. Those guys have been a, a tier better than him so far this season, since Australia at least. But obviously Medvedev's had some injuries, wasn't allowed to play Wimbledon. He's well-rested. Probably better rested than he's been coming into each of uh, this portion of the calendar outside of maybe 2020. It might be equally as well rested as he was going into that 2020 swing of the year. And again, they're just less challengers because Zverev's coming off of a fractured foot. Dominic Team, not the player he once was when he was going into that 2020 stretch. Obviously, it's an injured Nadal. It's not going to be Novak Djokovic. Daniil Medvedev could sweep. Like, I think that world is setting up where we could see him win Canada, win Cincinnati. I mean, sure, he's probably, it's a lot of tennis to put on the body. So more likely than not, he's going to lose one. But he is the definitive favorite. Is he not heading into each of these events? I've pondered that question long enough. I'll leave it there for all of you listeners. Again, at A.L. Gruskin on Twitter, should you have any additional thoughts. But credit to Daniil Medvedev in Titletown for the first time this of this season, 14th again of his career. Of course, on the flip side, disappointing ending. For Cam Norrie, nevertheless, you look for Norrie overall now, and I apologize because Tennis Abstracts doubled some of the numbers here, so i got to take away three wins. He's 35-17 and 17 now is Cam Norrie on this season, 35-17. and 17. I mean, that's a 67% win percentage. He is abiding by the two-thirds rule, and you look for Cam Norrie overall since the start of 2021, he's 91-42. and 42. 91 and 42. That's a two-thirds win percentage. That is why Cam Nori continues to ascend up the ATP rankings. And Nori 13th after his final in Los Cabos. That doesn't include his points at Wimbledon where he made the semifinals. And if those were included, he'd very likely not only probably be a top 10 player right now, he's ranked number 11 overall, but he'd be in the top 10 for the points race in terms of qualifying for the year on finals. Nori belongs there. Again, since the start of 
the 2021 season, 94 and or, excuse me, 91 and 42 overall. Norris made 19 different quarterfinals during that stretch of time. I would venture to say that's probably as much as anyone not named Medvedev or Zverev or Tsitsipas or well, I don't even know if Djokovic has played enough events to qualify to have the 19 quarterfinals there. But, you know, again, Cam Norrie is in that elite category in terms of success he's had since the start of 2021. Similarly, it's not only against, you know, popcorn foes. Now, against players outside the top 50, he's 50, uh, excuse me, 49 and 9 since the start of 21. Uh, 21. That's over an 80% win percentage. You look for him against players ranked outside the top 20. He's 78 and 23. That again is about an 80% win percentage, 77% if you want to be technical. He's beating everyone he's supposed to beat. And then against top 20 foes, 14 and 20 against top 10 foes. Oh, excuse me, not 14 and 20. He's no, no, 14 and 20 against top 10 foes. He's 5 and 17. Okay, that's the line. Cam Norrie still needs to develop that plus one weapon, make things a little bit easier for himself against top 10 foes. Of course, you look for him. That hold percentage drops from 82.8% when he's playing opponents ranked outside the top 20. And just for perspective, the average top 50 ATP player holds 81.8% of the time. Against players ranked outside the top 20, Cam Norrie holds over 82.8% of the time. So he's above, his serve is that much more effective, obviously, against lower-ranked players because he does hit his spots so well, because he does spread the court so well. The lower-ranked play, obviously, the lower you're ranked, the less maneuvers you have to fight off that Cam Norrie spreading of the court. But, you know, against top 20 players, that hold percentage drops from 82.8 to 749 a precipitous decline. His hold percentage drops to 71.4% against top 10 players. 10% decline in his hold percentage. His break percentage drops from 30.8% against players ranked outside the top 20 to 13.2% against top 10 opponents. And of course, that's going to happen. The top 10 players have bigger serves, bigger weapons, more ways of hurting you than players outside the top 20 do. No doubt about it. That said, you know, again, for Nori, in particular, I thought it was the physical, you know, he just started forcing the issue because he wasn't able to get the ball by Medvedev. Medvedev wasn't giving him any easy errors either, and there was just no free, there were no free points for Cam Norrie in this match. He didn't hit any aces, and, you know, he faced 10 break points throughout the course of the match. His slice serve out wide on the ad side, which is such an effective serve for him, it's just a bad matchup against a guy with a backhand like a Daniil Medvedev. And you look at who some of the, you know, that 5-17 and 17 record against the top 10, he's losing to players like Nadal's, Medvedev's, Zverev's, Djokovic's, those players with those outstanding backhands. He also loses to Kasparud in Miami and San Diego. Those are probably two losses he's got to have. You know, those are two matches he's probably got it. We also loses to him in three sets in the tour finals. You know, Kasparud on hard court, if Cam Norrie wants to be a top 10 player, that's the litmus test sort of player he's got to beat to get over that threshold. But, you know, again, unless you have a bigger weapon than him, and I would argue Rude's forehand is probably the biggest weapon on the court, and he can match Norrie's physicality, but matching that physicality of Norrie is just so extraordinarily difficult. And, Look, the Nori backhand's never not going to blow you away, but how he just drives that ball with depth and how he keeps it flat and low and just is able to neutralize your pace and take it a little bit earlier than you expect, his backhand's fine. Like, I would argue his backhand's gotten good, and Nori 
is an aggressive volleyer. He's got that college tennis panache to him where he closes. You know, mother closes the net. I don't know how else to say it because uh, that's – it's just like – it's a mindset. You can tell with him. He's just been taught, hey, if they're going to hit a lob, you know, all props to them. But you're not giving them the lob. You know, you're taking that away from them. and Or you can give them lob. They're not hit, passing you any other way. And at one point – you know, against Felix, and you know, I want to talk about that match because Nori a six four three six six three win. Felix had found his rhythm in that second set. Was finding the you know, it became just a little bit hard. You know, Felix, I should say, and much like Felix did, I should calm down and speak a little slower here. Felix found his groove. Went from pulling the trigger on the fifth ball in the rally to pulling the trigger on the ninth ball in the rally. And it just did wonders for Felix in the second set, who had the bigger weapons. His forehand was the biggest weapon on the court. He started finding the out wide serve on the ad side, uh, deuce side, excuse me, that much more effectively to spread the court with his plus one forehand. He started injecting some doubt into Nori by hitting behind him. And I thought Felix hit the inside in forehand, which is a really difficult shot because that's over the highest portion of the net. Thin margins between missing that ball wide and keeping it inside the alley. And Felix was hitting it in the sort of special way that Felix Ogier-Aliassim can hit the ball at times in that semifinal. And yet, Felix has breakpoint chances in the opening service game of Nori in the second set. Has a look at a passing shot. 1540 was a second passing shot. And he just unloads a forehand. It easily 110 miles per hour at the body of Cam Nori. It was going for the Bojangles as well. It might have hit his cojones had he not had an outstanding reflex volley where he just kind of underhand scoops it, protected the boys, and ends up making that volley cross-court short angle. And like, again, it was just pure reflex, pure instinct, pure competitiveness from Cam Nori. And, you know, ultimately he blunted the momentum of FAA at the start of that third set. And ultimately, FAA wasn't able to sustain his level, match that physicality, match the consistency of Nori. That's what Cam can do with you. If you don't have, if you can't match his physicality, you know, that's part one. And then if you don't have the the consistency to maintain your relentlessness throughout the course of a match, he's just going to make you pay. And so again, all the credit in the world to Cam Nori into another final here this past week. You look for Cam Nori now since the start of 2021. He's made 10 different finals. 10th final for him since the start of 2021. Four and six in those finals, but Again, you look for him now, made the Los Cabos final last year, won the title there, follows it up with a final here. He makes the final in Acapulco at the start of this season. As we mentioned earlier in the week, Mexico has always been tied to Cam Nori because, again, in that altitude, it's just a little harder to finish the rally, a little bit harder, uh, or in those conditions, a little bit harder to finish the rally and physicality's at a premium. And Boy, does Cam Nori bring that in spades. Again, currently sitting at number 11 in the live rankings, 13th in the points race, and that's not including his run to the Wimbledon semifinal. But with that said, again, some final thoughts, I suppose, as we look at the action in Los Cabos. Mimir Kasmanovic, just steadily excellent. And, you know, again, did a really good job keeping pace with Medvedev in his uh, in the first set of that match, but just wasn't able to manufacture enough easy offense for himself to hurt Medvedev. And that's where you think for Kesmanovic is he a tier, you know, he's probably a tier three guy as we look at the 22, soon to be 23-year-old for the next decade. How does he become a tier two guy or 
God willing, in his case, a tier one guy. The improvement on the surface helped. He just goes after that ball more than he used to. He uses it so well to set up the plus one targets for himself. I think the forehand does a little more sting than you think. I think his backhand has always been exceptional. But against elite returners, you know, again, does he have that elite pop on the serve? No, he hits his spot well, but... You know, if you're missing your spot, the elite returners are going to make you pay, even if you only miss it by two inches. Um, manufa- I mean, again, manufacturing easy offense against a Daniel Medvedev, that's going to be impossible for just about anyone. And that said, you know, again, just making life a little bit easier for himself so that when you lose that first set 7-6 after playing such spirited tennis in set number one, you know, you're not completely physically drained at the end of that set and making life easier for themselves. Again, developing the weapons over time, any tennis player is going to do that. That's why I think Mimir Kesmenovic is sitting in a good spot because foundationally the game looks good. And you look for Kesmenovic with his run to the semifinals. He's back up to number 35 in the world rankings. Kesmenovic currently sitting uh, overall at 23. That's what I was going to say. I thought he'd be top 25. I didn't see him, but he is indeed 23 in the points race. That feels about right for the soon-to-be 23-year-old who, again, is certainly in the midst of a breakout season. And then for Felix, I thought he played well against Nori. You know, again, 17 aces throughout the course of the match. How many of those aces came in set number two? Only five of them. Felt like that was the set he dominated most on serve, and he did go 15 of 18 on first serve points in that set. He's still a little stiff going in and out of corners. And again, you look for Felix Ogier Aliasim, who it's always worth remembering, just turned 22 years old this month, was a little stiff in and out of corners. And just Nori, whenever he could get him spread, particularly to that backhand wing, you just know what Felix is going to do with it. He's going to try and drive that backhand. You know, when you leave it short, he can drive it deep cross court and do damage with you. But if you get him on the move, when he tries to drive that backhand, it sits up for you to attack. And now you, you know, first ball, spread him to the backhand, second ball, make him hit that forehand on the run. It's just far less effective than when he has his feet set and he's hitting forehands either from the center of the court or he's dictating with his forehand from the ad side. That said, again, in the second set, there was nothing Cam Nori could do. Felix was just electric. He was playing front foot tennis. It was on his terms. He was overwhelming Nori even on that surface. It was just a gear not a lot of players have. And if he gets that break in the opening game of the third set, who knows how the match goes from there. But Felix let himself get frustrated that he wasn't able to convert on those opportunities. And, you know, again, that he wasn't able to do quite enough with his backhand out of the corners. That said, considering it's week one of the hardcourt season, you've got Canada coming up. You've got Cincinnati coming up. More time for Felix to get his legs under him. You know, they're in Montreal this year, which I don't think is as fast as the courts in Toronto. But... Home soil, great place for Felix to get rocking and rolling as he approaches the U.S. Open where we know three out of five sets Felix Ogier-Aliya seem never to be trifled with. With that said, those are my thoughts on everything that happened this week in Los Cabos. Let's move on now to the action over in D.C. And certainly... It's always exciting when Nick Kyrgios steps onto the court. Always worth remembering, of course, that he does face significant allegations of assault back in Australian court uh, that are ongoing as we continue to see him playing on the ATP Tour. Another indictment of the ATP Tour's lack of policies addressing anything related to domestic violence. But, you know, again... 
credit to Nick Kyrgios. If they're going to let him play, you know, he's playing the best tennis of his career. There's no doubt about it. And you look for Nick Kyrgios now overall here in 2022, just, you know, a ridiculous amount of success for him. He's what, 28 and 7 now? overall on the year, heading into this final against Yoshihito Nishioka and, you know, against quality players, Mikhail Emer, Tommy Paul, Marcos Giron, Francis Tiafo, Riley Opelka, he's yet to have his serve broken. You know, he faced five match points against Tiafo. What an extraordinary match that was. And what was so fascinating is Kyrgios isn't broken in set number one. They trade a couple of mini breaks in that first set breaker. Five all, though, Kyrgios double faults. Tiafo makes him pay with a big first serve that goes unreturned, 7-5 first set. Typically, you know, that's when Nick Kyrgios explodes. That's when he gets angry. That's when he loses concentration, plays a loose service game to start the second set. Once again, he did not do that. Now, was he bickering with his box? Was he bickering with the chair? Was he doing Nick Kyrgios things? Yes, of course he was. But he also continued to sustain his level on court and, you know, I think he double faulted at 9-10 in the second set breaker. Gives Tiafo a match point on Tiafo's serve. The only of the five match points Tiafo had on his own serve, by the way. Francis lands a first serve, but Nick connects on a backhand. And that backhand's at the feet of Tiafo, and it ultimately draws an error, I believe, to give Kyrgios the point. And, you know, then again, then Kyrgios found a little confidence. Started swinging through that backhand return a little bit more. And all of a sudden, Francis Tiafo drops that second set, 14-12 in the breaker. Now, all of a sudden, Nick Kyrgios has a little bit of momentum. And, you know, once he got that break early in the third set, you just felt the match was over because Nick was cruising on serve. And, you know, you look for Nick Kyrgios now this season. He's holding serve 95% of the time. 95% of the time. I went and looked this up because Mark Petchy gave a quote on Tennis Channel's Inside In podcast that received some heat about Nick Kyrgios having one of the top five serves in a vacuum of all time. Here are some single season highs via Tennis Abstract, who it's worth noting are missing some matches in its database, missing some seasons in the database. But from the information I have gathered regarding, you know, single season highs, Ivo Karlovic has the old time record. He held 95.5% of the time in 2015. That's a joke. That, I mean, what was he broken? Less than 30 times on the season? Just ridiculous. Kyrgios is at 95% this year. 2019 Isner, best serving season of his career, 94.1. Roddick, 2005, 92.5. Federer, 2015, 91.9. Sampras, 2000, 91.7. Ivanisevic, 89.2 and 96. Becker, 87.8 and 95. Kyrgios is second on that list. And no one's saying he's sustained the amount or gathered the amount of career success as anyone but probably Karlovich on that list of names, but he serves in the conversation. And I mean, just the amount of free points he wins on it, you know, six plus aces in all of his matches this week and just the confidence he has. Doesn't matter if it's a love 15, doesn't matter if it's 1530, a good kick or a flat serve out wide or a good slider down the tee, a good slider out wide on the deuce side. All of a sudden it's now 40-30 Kyrgios. And again, the break percentage, 18.3% this season. Not outstanding, but when you're being broken less than 10% of the time, you know, you're breaking 80 th- or you're breaking 18.3% of the time. You're getting one out of every five breaks. It's good enough for 6-4, 7-5 sets, which Kyrgios has a healthy amount of on his resume this season where he's just gone unbroken and, you know, again, not broken so far this week in D.C. 
Now you look for Nick Kyrgios, even without the Wimbledon finals points, he's top 30 in the points race right now. He's hovering back inside the top 50 by making the semifinals in D.C. this week and re-enter the top 40 with another win over Yoshihito Nishioka, who he's 4-0 against in his career, would be a top 25 player in the points race with another win. And again, that's without the Wimbledon points. With those Wimbledon points, if he wins the City Open title, he's a top 10 player. He would be in the conversation for the year-end finals. And again, he didn't play the clay court season. We've talked enough about what makes Nick special, but you look for him against Tiafo Again, he hits 35 aces, 60 total winners. So he had 25 winners off the ground, you know, against only 15 unforced errors and just, you know, 17 of 27 at the net. 60 winners against 35 unforced errors in a best of th- uh, 35 serves, excuse me, in a best of three set match. 35 free points. If you're winning 35 free points, how many total points did Nick Kyrgios win in the match? He won 116. 35 of them were free. That's how you get the job done, folks. That's just, that's the difference in a 52-48 percentage sort of match. And then, uh, obviously, against Mikhail Emer, who did a great job keeping pace with Kyrgios on serve in the first set, but just wasn't able to match that over the course of set number two. You know, Kyrgios didn't have, didn't face a break point throughout the course of the match. Kyrgios, 28 winners, uh, with 10 of them being aces against 15 unforced errors. No double faults for him on the day. Was 18 of 26 at the net. You know, Emer was able to come up with some ridiculous backhand passing shots, and credit to Emer for that, but the serves in the conversation amongst the single most dominant forces we've seen on the ATP Tour in terms of that serve over the course, certainly of the 21st century, but I think in the annals of ATP Tour history as well. And again, it's a single season. Um, He's got to sustain it long term if he wants to get into that Hall of Fame conversation. But I've joked about this of late. We should put a GIF wing or a whatever wing. You know, a GIF is the videos that the three to five second videos that you can see playing in repeat that have replaced images in our discourse, I suppose. We should have a GIF wing of the Tennis Hall of Fame where we just have the best shots ever playing on repeat. That way you don't have to induct John Isner into the Hall of Fame, but you can make a note of his serve, how dominant that force was by having it playing on repeat. Maybe just all the aces he's hit, the video of every ace John Isner's hit, you play that on one of the screens at the Tennis Hall of Fame. I would watch it for the first 30 seconds. I think it would be pretty entertaining. And then you move on to the Kyrgios serve, which... It's not in there yet. I need to see a bigger body of work, but it's in the conversation. That's how good he's been this year. And again, into the finals at the City Open. It's his, well, I guess he made the Wimbledon final. But with that Wimbledon final, you know, it's his second final of the season. Looking for his first title since Washington 2019. It's been three years. Three years since Nick Kyrgios ended up in the winner's circle. And he's going to be the definitive favorite against Yoshihito Nishioka, who I talked about at length in our last podcast. So I'll focus more specifically on his matchup against Andre Rublev and I suppose against Dan Evans as well. Though we talked a little bit about that Evans match as he led 6-5 in the first set uh, when we recorded our last podcast. You look for Nishioka, 12 winners against 13 unforced errors against Rublev. Rublev hit 22 winners against 33 unforced errors. Nishioka just made life miserable for the Russian. Just had him moving side to side, extending rally after rally after rally, and just putting Rublev in uncomfortable positions. The elevation, the heaviness, the action on his forehand wing. Rublev's hitting the backhand from his knees, from his waist, from his shoulders. 
Rublev just got frustrated. And the thing that frustrates me most about Andre Rublev, who has had a good year overall on the season, you know, you look for Andre Rublev, he's now, and I mentioned this last time, 30-13, or you got to take a couple off, so 35-12 and 12 overall on the year. That's a damn good year, winning 75% of his matches, and yet sometimes there's just a look of helplessness that the number eight player in the world should never have on his face. When Andre Rublev gets frustrated with himself and just feels lost within matches, because as good as that Rublev forehand is, as relentless as his power from the baseline is, as physically fit as he's become, he can still be a little bit one speed. You know, you know what you're getting from Andre Rublev. He's got to use that forehand to win free points for himself. And when it's not earning him free points, he just, like at times, he just looks lost and so angry. And, you know, Poor Andre Rublev had to face Max Cressy, Jack Draper, J.J. Wolf, and Yoshihito Nishioka in the same event. Talk about four distinctly different players, distinctly different playing styles. Three players in Wolf, Cressy, Draper who aren't going to offer you a lot of rhythm. It's a lot of five or fewer shot rallies. You know, that's not the case against Yoshi, who was extending rally after rally and just was supremely successful in doing so and you look for Nishioka now 33 and 17 overall on the year into the final of DC he's looking for his first ATP title since Shenzhen back in 2018 his first final since Delray Beach February 2020 you look for Nishioka now who uh, with this result up to number 54 in the live rankings, you're getting into anything you want to play. It may have to be qualifying in Paris, but you're getting into it. You know, he's 46th in the points race as well, 26 years old to be a top 50 player on the year. You you get to keep being a pro, and you get to live pretty comfortably. You get to enjoy the spoils of professional tennis life when you have this sort of success. So credit to Yoshihito Nishioka, who just moves the ball so well around the court. And as as uncomfortable as it is striking the ball when he throws a forehand at you, his backhand's special. Like his ability to play that ball, and he's 5'7", generously, but his ability to play that ball on the rise and slap it cross court, slap it down the line, it's captivating. His foot speed is sensational. And there's a reason the DC crowd has fallen in love with him. And so, again, that's an exciting final. Kyrgios Nishioka. Kyrgios, by the way, playing in the doubles final as well. Looking forward to the sweep of the event. Always a fun thing to look for, of course, as you look at the rest of uh, the my thoughts, I suppose, at the City Open. Spoke a lot about Rublev and Imer on the last show. Disappointing for Rublev, but... Semifinals, 500. Get a couple matches under your belt as you head towards Canada. It had been a month since we'd seen Rublev play. So I suppose overall, you chalk it up as a win if that's the most optimistic glass half full. Again, it was a disappointing loss. He looked lost against Nishioka, but now gets a couple days to grind before the action in Canada begins. And then for Mikhail Emer, again, by making the semifinals here, uh, helps him given he's got Winston-Salem finals points to defend in a couple of weeks. But back up to number 76 in the live rankings is the 23-year-old, nine places off his career high of number 67, so not too shabby. And then, of course, still one match to go, Nishioka versus Kyrgios. Again, Kyrgios 4-0 in his career against Yoshihito Nishioka, a 70.8% favorite today, according to Tennis Abstract. I would happen to agree with those numbers. I do think Kyrgios ultimately wins. I do think it's going to be a straight-set victory for him as well. But 
With that said, that's where things stand this weekend on our in our two ATP events. Again, a shout-out to Daniil Medvedev. First title of the season, Nikirios Yoshihito Nishioka looking for their first ATP titles as well. Of course, we will be back tomorrow to break down championship action, not only in D.C. for the men's side, but you've got Samsonova Kanepi. You've got Kasakina versus Rogers happening in San Jose. We're going to be able to bring all the action back to one podcast as we only have three finals to recap on Sunday. But then... We get to get into the 1,000-level events. We've got Canada, Cincinnati, back-to-back. Of course, the U.S. Open looming over it all. We'll continue to cover it all here at Cracked Rackets in our quest to make you the most well-informed, best-educated fans in the business. Of course, a shout-out to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an any job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout-out as well to our friends at Tennis Point for their continued support. And remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 with all that said for the fantastic super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.